I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Achten Millwall. Listening to Acton Millwall Emergency Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Millwall Fan Show and Acton Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, thrice welcome to a special edition of Acton Millwall. Special edition insofar as we have a stranger in the house, a Brentford stranger, Mr. Billy Grant of the Besotted Podcast. Welcome to the show, Bill. Thanks very much for inviting me, lads. How are you doing? Um, <laughs> we, are, we are good. We've had a few technical issues, listeners. So um, we finally got Billy online and it's, it's great to hear from him. Um, also joining me today is a show regular voice now, Mr. James Blewett. Welcome to the show, James. Afternoon, Nick. Afternoon, Billy. Hello, mate. How are you doing? All good on this front, chaps. So we are speaking in the aftermath of today's Times report, gentlemen. Um, the Premier League and the Championship are talking about or trying to obtain government permission and reading the report. I get the sense that the government are um, warm to this idea of a return of football um, to play nearly 200 remaining fixtures across the Premier League and, and, and Championship um, behind closed doors, naturally enough. Um, to hopefully play the season to a finish. Now, we were speaking earlier on, chaps, um, and I don't know how you both feel, but I feel it feels slightly, I don't know what the right word is, it feels almost disrespectful to be discussing sport in the context of the week where 30,000 people have now been, you know, um, assigned as as having perished, according from the virus. The United Kingdom is now um, vying, if not overtaking Italy, in terms of European casualty rates. It feels almost improper. Um, how do you feel? Um, I know football has to continue. Or does it? does it? Is it that important? I mean, for me, it's, I think it's a bit, of a bit of a strange one. I mean, we were the first club, in effect, to have our match called off. It was Friday the 13th. We were very, very excited indeed. Yep. We were playing Fulham on the Friday night. And for us, you know, Fulham is the big game. It's gone back from, from the 80s when, you know, Brentford and Fulham was a big match. Everyone laughs when they hear, you know, how could Fulham be a big game? But for us, it is a, a <laughs> massive game and everybody, you know, comes out of the woodwork for those ones. So uh, people had literally taken the day off work. 
You know, I was literally getting, getting ready to get out to my school to pick up my daughter, take yep. her down there. She was excited, her first Fulham game, and then bang, we heard the news that the, the game was off and, and it hit us like a bit of a, you know, because you didn't know what was going on. I was gutted. So at that time, I thought, I oh, know what's going on. You know, the, the games were off the following weekend. And at that time, I think the thought was, all right, okay, you know, just look, you know, just hold it down for a little bit. We get football back in a few weeks' time and then we can up and start again. But as things started to kind of realise as they got around the world that it was actually quite a serious case and then they started the lockdown then you got, you know, people that you knew started to get it and, and, you, and, and you know, there was the, you realise that there were some serious issues going down. As much as I, you know, as, as I wanted to go back to football, which I missed football, I worked for myself, so I worked from home a lot. So me going out to football on a Saturday or on a Tuesday, meeting my mates, is actually a big part of my week, as it is with a lot of people. I just thought to myself, to be honest with you, how important is this really? You know, it's kind of paling into insignificance. Um, in one way, I want to go to football because it's kind of like it's, it's stopping the monotony. I want to see football. But on the other hand, you look at what else is going on. Um, you can argue, you know, as to whether or not, you know, people in positions of power did the right or the wrong things. That's kind of not say irrelevant at the moment now, but the most important thing is for people to get back on track, for the country to get back on track and for people to be safe. So there is a real split, even with our Brentford fans, where some of them are saying, I can't believe we're talking about going. I know we've got playoffs coming. I yeah. can't believe we're talking about going back. Why are we talking about this? Where others are saying, we just need to get back to normality somehow. Um, if, 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 if certain parts of society could show that they can operate in a safe and proper manner, then surely then, you know, they should be you know, instructed to do that and kind of get on with that. And it almost offers a little bit of hope for people that, you know, that there is some sort of normality and light at the end of the tunnel. So I hear what you're saying, Nick, there is a definite balance up, but I think it's a conversation that definitely needs to be had. Okay. Well, how do you stand on it, James? I have to say, I found this uh, one of the strangest periods of my life. And it, it's uh, to just be restricted to your home, separated from family, um, uh, locked down in this way, and, and to be sort of just seeing this unfolding horror coming through the, the news cameras every day. It, it, I mean, I'm normally a bit obsessed about football and, and Millwall and, and stuff, but it, it's surprised me how it's just slipped away to be honest yeah. and I'm just not I mean to be honest, it's been fantastic the podcasts you've been doing because they've they've connected you to the past and past times but up until this point really I've had no debut interest in the how the sort of season finish kind of stuff it's like you say it seems a bit distasteful to be talking about um you know the various scenarios and his football achieve, uh, merit better than scrapping the season when you suddenly switch on the news and another 400 500 people have died so and particularly as there is sometimes a link in that you know like frank lankard was saying in the, the press last week um uh, and i don't usually agree with frank lampard but he was saying it's a little bit distasteful for footballers on tens if not hundreds of thousands of pounds to argue about how they can get access to testing when people in the local care home can't but um having said that as soon as you start to hear the debate really unfold as it has in the last couple of days about how it's going to happen and so forth you could feel yourself start to stir and re-engage with it and start to begin to look at the fixtures and wonder how it would happen i suppose my only fear is whether um a kind of a desire to get things back to normal overrides sensible health and safety um and we don't want people being put at risk for what ultimately is like you said at the beginning um a pastime 
I'll tell you what's interesting. I mean, I'll tell you what really kind of actually hit home because there's a lot of talk about, you know, the fans getting out there. Are we going to be the stadium? Are we not going to be the stadium? Can we get football up and running? Can we not? How can we make it safe? Let's do testing. All these other things. And if you think about it, and then they're talking about, and we'll talk, probably talk about this later, about, you know, the contracts. It's got to be finished by a certain date. All these sort of complications that are thrown in there. And there was a, a really interesting article with Sergi Canos, who's our, our, one of our wingers who was injured a lot earlier on in the season. And he's been recuperating, and ironically, you know, with the with the with the, the delay in the seasons, it's actually encouraged him to actually be, recover and come back because he had a long-term injury. So they interviewed him last week, I think it was, and they were talking about, you know, what is his thoughts on, you know, football? What did he miss the most? And he's the most, if you remember him, he's the most enthusiastic player. He's a great player, and he's a great player to have the team. And he says, "Oh, I so miss being on the training pitch because that to me is is my feeling of actually being a player. It's my feeling of belonging but I miss that and uh, you know I can't wait to get back and play football but then he said but is it really worth it this whole concept of coming back now or next week or in a month or two months as a player is it really worth it and this is the player who has been out for like six, six or seven months who was questioning it and all of a sudden I thought to myself you know has anybody actually spoke to the players to see what they think, you know? Yes, I'm sure there's safety and there's going to be safe things involved, but at the end of the day, you know, what if something did go wrong? And, and, and this, these, these players are actually put in the centre of it. So this is one of the things that actually I thought, you know, removed myself from it, who's a fan, and yeah. actually put players into it, who are the people who are actually going to be in the middle of it all. I mean, that's, a, that's a huge question in itself, Billy, and you're right. I mean, just to, um, just to be clear on the... the, the I use the word spectacle loosely on this because the spectacle that's going to be presented to us is a behind closed doors conclusion to the season. So um, the Premier League are talking about eight to 10 neutral venues. I don't know, um, they're talking about using Wembley Stadium as a, as a potential neutral venue for some of these games, um, which is which is an interesting idea. Um, no team celebrations. So if you score a goal, I guess you can't go congratulate your, your, your goal scorer. Um, no post-match shirt swapping that's not such a big deal in my opinion um and then stuff like no 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 sharing of water bottles um and no spitting during the course of the game which i you know I, that that wouldn't bother me but the 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 thing that strikes me is and i want to hear what you boys think is that that does not sound a very attractive spectacle to me an empty stadium i mean i watched one game um, Billy in, in the in the Bundesliga before the I think it was the night that you were due to play uh, Brent, you know Brentford game and they had a, a German game which was behind closed doors and it was the most um, cold hearted thing I've ever seen it's it's an empty ground and there's a yes there's a football match going on but strong sense of so what um, and I can't help but feel that's that's got a similar feel to this these proposals yeah and. I think that again, that's another. I mean, there's this is what I'm saying to you. There's much, there's many, many, many issues tied up here. And I have to admit, you know, when I was asked this, when I was asked initially, what would you prefer? I said, well, to be honest with you, I didn't care if the season was put back till September, October. If you started in October and we could start it with fans, then I say, great, that, that for me would be the solution. Or November, start it back in November with fans. But then afterwards, when the arguments started to come out about, well, that's not really possible because financially it's not feasible and the contracts and all this kind of stuff, which basically almost led to the fact that they're saying there's either no season. If we can't do it relatively soon, 
it's got to be kind of voided off or we've got to do something else. Plus, obviously, you've got the, you know, the clubs in the lower leagues, your Eccleton, Stanleys and clubs like that who are really struggling without the income and saying, look, you know, we can't just mothball our season and, and just wait for something to happen. So then it started to make me sort of kind of rethink my thoughts on that because, you know, for me, as you say, football without fans is, is nothing. No, no. And if you've got a scenario of actually not having the football at all or having something, I was thinking then I would probably prefer, when I say probably, but I would prefer to actually see something. James, you, you touched on the change in everyone's lifestyle and what can become normal quite rapidly. And I think it links in what Billy's just said there that, yes, I mean, that sounds to me like a bleak prospect, if I'm going to be honest. And then, you know, playing a... Um, I don't know, Burnley versus Norwich in an empty Wembley stadium. Would I, would I watch that? Probably probably not. Um, but it's what you get used to. What do you think? My, my fear is that really what this is about is about fulfilling contracts rather than, um, a, rather than a kind of, you know, giving the fans a sort of distanced kind of uh, conclusion to their season. And probably in that sense, it's the least worst option because as soon as, if you voided the season, uh, I mean, it would be funny to see Liverpool and Leeds fans going to not <laughs> a meltdown, but uh, almost worth it. But it would be, you could just see that you could end up with litigation that lasts for years and completely paralyses the game and everything. And if this rather sterile, uh, in my view, sort of... Um, uh, tokenistic kind of uh, process takes place and it gets things sorted and as Billy says it enables the proper leagues to restart in the in the in the autumn so that the, these small clubs do have a chance of uh, surviving then uh, then then perhaps it's the least worst option I mean the only thing is that I it'd be fascinating to know how this is going to be financed I can understand because when you look at the German model they're talking about small training sessions all just separated bringing them together quarantining them uh, testing them quarantining them something putting them in a special camp so they can't have contact with people. It might be all right for Man City. They've probably got a hotel complex next to the Etihad they can use for something like that. But a club like Millwall, we don't have the revenue. Where are we going to... I don't know. It's, it's a shed re- somewhere in, you know, I mean, it's a, particularly for clubs like Millwall where, I mean, if you follow that, um, the price of football... Uh, the blog, uh, yeah. yeah, Twitter, yeah. Really good, really interesting and stuff. And he, he makes the point that one of the things that changes the championship is there is a considerable number of teams who are very, very dependent upon gate income. Yeah. Unlike the Premiership, where it's, it's almost pin money. But, you know, I, I wonder how a club like Millwall could finance the kind of the processes we might need to um, to uh, to make that behind the cold doors thing happen safely. Now, I, mean, I was just going to say, I mean, the the, the, uh, the the arrangements that you just described, that German quarantine, test quarantine, um, you know, the kind of um, the, the training regime necessary. I mean, that's, it sounds like a manned mission to Mars, not a game of football. You know, it's, it's a sense of perspective that's, um, that's needed here. I mean, that said, and I'm going to come over to you now, Billy, because I'm, I catch myself saying no to almost everything. And this, we... Those in authority in the game don't have the luxury of there, there are no there are no easy answers. There is no easy option, and whichever solution uh, the, the the game comes up with, someone like me or whoever will can easily say that's wrong. They shouldn't be doing that. But it's, it's very hard to come up with a positive way to 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 actually see this season through to some form of conclusion, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, just coming back to what James has said, then yes, um, I mean, you're talking about the you know the testing and, and the cost of the testing. 
um, and, and, and I'm putting my sort of kind of put sort of a little bit of a devil's advocate head on here. If you come back to, you know, to football and how it operates, particularly in the top two leagues, you've got the Premier League and our league where, you know, we have been paid, you know, um, love it or hate it, a fair amount of money by the, um, the TV companies, which has helped us to operate. It's helped to pay our players' wages. It's helped to pay the staffing. This yep. thing has happened. And, and at the end of the day, we've got a contract with these countries, even though it's a bit of a nightmare that, you know, that this coronavirus has happened. So there are certain obligations. And if these obligations don't happen, that means that certain amounts of that money will not be there. So if you look at it from James's um, scenario, where you talk about, say, for example, testing kits and, you know, how much it's going to cost, you know, the balance up to pay for, you know, 70,000 testing kits. And I'm just, I'm, I'm just talking strictly as, as you could see, a business person would be talking in this scenario saying, how can we actually make this work? Let's talk about 70,000 um, testing kits. How do we actually make this work and make it safe and put it into the pot and get the right staff to administer it and all this kind of stuff, as opposed to us losing, you know, one billion pounds or 500 million pounds, whatever it may be, for not completing whatever we need to do. And I'm not sort of saying, I'm not saying, oh, it's all about the money, but I'm just saying, putting my devil's advocate hat on saying how they're thinking and maybe i don't know the football leagues the efl are saying i'll tell you what we'll fund you know we'll all fund the kids we'll, we'll put it we'll, we'll get a central person to, to sort it out and organize it and and source it and get it in from whatever and maybe we'll buy it in bulk where we can send another you know the same amount off off to the nhs as what we've got i, I we don't know but the, the, the worst thing you have if you've got a company i mean i work for myself is every time you put a, something out there as a, as, a, as a question and somebody just knocks it back with negativity without actually coming up with actually solutions that's me the, that's me billy <laughs> and I, I think i think the, the most important thing is to come to try and come up with some solutions even if even if nine out of ten of them are knocked back also it was just quite interesting just before i came on the podcast here i did a very very unscientific poll as we do this sorted right or not you know there's no science involved in a whatsapp group and asking a question and i asked the question um, I said, you've only got one of two answers here and I'm going to put a prerequisite out here before, you know, to let everybody know, all the Millwall fans, everyone's I'm not saying we are going to get promoted, but the question I'm saying is obviously we're in the playoffs and I'm saying that hypothetically, if, you know, um, we were to go up the season in the playoffs and don't forget, we've never won a playoff before. So the chances are probably very, very, very slim. We've done nine playoffs, lost nine, eight playoffs and lost eight playoffs. So um, but say hypothetically, if all of a sudden we went up this season, but we went up by playing behind closed doors and we there was no fans and you couldn't get down the pub with your mates. And yes, it was on TV and it's all a bit sterile or they decided to just kind of just award the next six teams who are now into places and have a sort of one shoot off between one you know us and Nottingham Forest and Fulham go up automatically and then you just get promoted something quite rubbish like that would you prefer that but knowing that you'd be in the Premier League when it started next season or would you say actually no you just bluffed it and you'd have to remain in the championship next season being guaranteed knowing that you will get promoted but with fans what would you what would you prefer and 100% of the people that have answered on this unscientific poll said they'd prefer option two. Were, you know, which is interesting. It's not about the promotion. It's not about going to the Premier League. It's about going to football, being with your mates, having their laugh and everything like that, which I thought was quite interesting. Well, James, I think I would probably emotionally at least err on that side. I mean, just in a similar way to Billy's um, Brentford fans, because I mean, you know, football is a business, but from the fans' perspective, it's as much a social event. The day hangs on the football rather than 
all too often in Millwall's history, the football's incidental to the day, isn't it, really? <laughs> you know, I, I would agree. I, th- I, think the, I think the whole behind-closed-doors thing is not about seeing the competition played out. I think it's the least worst scenario for getting things done and then getting back to a more normal football season with fans and things next season. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, as I say, I can... I, Bit like you, Nick. I can uh, I can demolish every scenario, really. But uh, um, no, I, I think that uh, uh, the fans are football. I mean, there's been uh, some ridiculous things around. Was it Gordon Taylor this week suggesting behind mm. closed doors, thirty-five minute halves and stuff like that? And when you hear that sort of stuff, you start to think uh, I, I couldn't be asked with it. Really, I'd just walk away from it. I'd lose interest in it because uh, then it then it stops being football, doesn't it? If you change the format of the competition, just, you know, I know it's these are unusual, abnormal circumstances, but to actually change the structure of the game that you're playing um, seems, um, it's, well, I don't think it's actually had much support. I haven't seen anything online to support that, so I'm hoping that's going to die a natural death, so to speak. Um, the, I mean, one thing did strike me. I was reading some uh, Rick Parry, EFL chairman Rick Parry, um, has said that the current season needs to be concluded before the 31st of July. I'm guessing that's contractual, um, players' contracts, 31st of July. Um, and that clubs face a £200 million hole, this is his words, by September. So I guess whatever we do, the Football League, we'll look at um, a huge, a huge debt there. With, um, I, I can't remember how he put it, but it's, uh, it, he expects or cannot say how many clubs will go by, you know, will perish as a result of the, the current situation. I mean, I, I think from my point of view, I mean, going back to Billy's points about how you get promoted and how, how they settled the, the playing side, it's, it's really about how best that the game and the clubs that form the Football League and Premier League survive. Um, it's about survival as much as any notional promotion or relegation issues for me. I agree completely. I, I, I think the, the, my really only interest in this season and the end of this season is actually leaving football intact. I mean, I have to say, I was quite surprised it was only 200 million. I mean, when you look at an individual club like Bolton have got 135 million pounds debt, I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it, it's uh, you know... It, Given the amount of foot, money in football in total, I, I think that you know that that there are financial ways of of, of saving and protecting uh, the clubs. If if football, you know, particularly the Premiership, can be enticed to uh, to work, you know, collaboratively with the uh, the other the, the EFL. Um, I wonder whether that's whether this is a turning point. I mean, we, you know, we 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 often have this. Um, you see these conversations in, in in politics that maybe this is some kind of society turning point where suddenly now we see the value of the of the of the uh, of the nhs and, and and the care workers and the down to the people that stack the shelves in the supermarket the traditionally lowest paid are suddenly being the heroes of the hour um and to be make a very um you know trivial point is it now the hour where football can see fully of overstretched to get into the into the golden land of, of the premier league i mean I don't hold out much any any faith, Billy. Do you? <laughs> Listen, I mean you're 100 percent right there. Um, I mean, just I'm going to come back to that point in a second, but I'm just going to come back to your Rick Parry because that, Rick Parry is an interesting character. I mean, he was obviously involved in football. I think he's a Premier League sort of yeah. years back before he flipped out, went to Liverpool, went to all sorts of different places. Was he the one that went to Royal Mail as well? I, I think he know. was. Sure, he was. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's come back now, and he's at the EFL now. The one thing I, you know, I looked at him and I thought. 
because I've, I've met um, Sean Harvey quite a few times. I'll be I sit in meetings with with Sean Harvey on on, on a, 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 a fans collective, and I've talked about a number of issues. I've talked about um, I talked about Derby selling their stadium. I bought that up. It's actually minuted. Mm. You can go on the EFL website, and I was you know not because it's against Derby, but I'm just saying this is ridiculous. If you've got rules about spending, and then clubs could circumvent it by doing things like selling stadia, what's the point? You know, Sean Harvey defended it, saying, you know, in effect, he basically said, and I said, I'm going to put allegedly in here because, you know, just to, just to protect yourself. But he said that, you know, it's much better for, a, you know, for an owner to want to spend money than to kind of, you know, be taking money out of the club and running them down, which is kind of, okay, that's kind of true. But also there are rules in place. So mm. his, his view was, you know, if an owner wants to spend money and he carries on spending money, you know, that's not a bad thing, is it? You know, there's the other thing. And also the other thing that we talked about was, um, as we talked about wage capping, and I put it against on the minutes and I said to him, look, you know, if these clubs are uh, going out there spending money because they're desperately trying to get out you know, to, Premier, to the Premier League or they're trying to get out of Division 1 to the Championship and they're spending money, silly money, and they can't help themselves, what's happened is that they get themselves into a pickle. Then all of a sudden they say, oh, no, we're in a pickle. Then what's happened is the fans suffer. You know, the club's in all sorts of problems. It starts falling down the leagues. You know, the buckets come out of the clubs, you know. And, and it's, it's, at the end of the day, the fans are the ones that suffer because the chairman leave. You know, the players leave, everyone else leaves, but the fans are stuck with it. So I said, so surely you, as a, an organisation, as the Football League, should be protecting this from happening. And if clubs can't be helped by spending as much money as possible, they keep going out, they're just spending, 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 then maybe you should be the ones that should be putting, you know, things mm. into place to ensure it happens. It's like having a kid go into a sweet shop. And you've got a three-year-old kid going to the sweet shop. He's going to go there and he's going to get all the sweets and eat them all and get, get really sick. So what you've got to have, you've got to have a parent making sure that that kid doesn't do that because if it's if it's up to him he'll carry on or her he'll carry on doing it all day and all night so this is what i said and he was just like mm, no it's not going to happen but interestingly with rick parry i've noticed that he's just brought up recently the idea of potentially putting wage capping and wage also, caps, yeah deferrals yeah, yeah and he's also put in the, the idea of also putting in um, um well he's really hammered derby and uh and Sheffield, well, Sheffield wednesday in particular so in effect he's saying look to be honest with you finishing off this season isn't isn't economically viable for probably you know 98 percent of the clubs out there and it, most of them are haven't got anything to gain or anything to lose for playing that but he, he says the only reason or the main argument for doing it is for reasons of sporting integrity so it's not a financial thing because i know financially it's it's, it's a nightmare it's for this sport, uh, sporting integrity, which I think is very interesting. Well, that sporting integrity, I think, much hinges on that because although that sounds like a kind of um, the th- kind of thing you might speak of in the public school common room, the sporting integrity of the game, you know, and all this kind of stuff, it's I think a lot of legal action could hinge on this because, as, as you know, you've said earlier on, Billy, what if um, what if they turn around and promote someone and, and exclude therefore others? You can see. Anything other than the playing to a finish, I guess, has the potential to become a lawyer's paradise for some years to come because everyone will have their own case that they feel has been thwarted and therefore there should be some compensation of some sort due as a, as a consequence or it be put right in some way. So I'm guessing sporting integrity, which sounds a bit airy-fairy, and I've seen that phrase used in, in the reading I've done, I think a lot hinges on it because if you don't have sporting integrity, it then becomes... Um, a committee allocation of what do you, you know, how are you choosing to, to, to complete this, this competition, which has huge financial implications for the winners or the losers as a consequence. So I'm guessing that's why sporting integrity is, is so literally so valuable because 
on that, you can Brentford could be promoted or or stay in the, the championship justifiably because events on the pitch made that happen rather than Rick Parry and his and his and his confederates deciding yes they'll go up and not them. Um, I guess that's the reason why. Well, I think that the that. Uh... That's why it's the least worst option. That's why it just has to be sorted. Because, you know, even someone like John Berylson, I mean, I think us going up this season is highly unlikely, if I'm honest. Uh, I, I mean, the, the Forest game, just be- tantalisingly, just before the lockdown, mm. was perhaps our best pers- uh, performance of the season. But I still am not convinced we've got enough, quite enough quality just to have got over the line. But Berylson could quite legitimately have said, look, I've put 50 or £60 million pounds into this club in the last decade. We've got a chance of going up. And you've just snuffed it out by arbitrarily making Absolutely. it Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, you know, let's, uh, let's play this slightly farcical behind closed doors um, uh, game, get the season finished, and then hopefully restart football with um, basic infrastructure still intact. But going back to your point, Nick, I think that you always hope in these sorts of moments that there will be a bit of a crossroads and people will think about what's really important in football and so forth. And they will reboot the whole system. They will get some decent... I was interested in what Billy said in terms of toughening up regulation. I think the lack of regulation in English football has oh, been... It's incredible. incredible. I mean, just so disgraceful in the last 20 years and this is an opportunity you know and um you know you can put, look at germany and um it, the, t- the ticket the tickets are cheaper the ga- the stadiums are fuller uh players might not be paid as much and so therefore they don't have the best in europe but you know at the end of the day i think they've got a much healthier and a much more robust game and 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 i think that you know, if, if anything comes out of the awful situation we're in at the moment, it's a chance to really have a bit of a rethink about how English football's organised and regulated. Well, I'm going to ask you a question there, James, and it's interesting because you said that, you know, German players don't get paid as much, so they don't have the best players. But the flip side question I'm going to say to you is, um, say, I'm going to give an example, and, and again, this isn't the right way, but Jed Wallace, okay? So say, for example, I'm going to say hypothetically, say he was on 40 grand a week. I mean, he's not at Millwall, but say he was on 40 grand a week, okay? The question that is not, hypothetical. No, 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 no but, but so hypothetically, yeah. if he was on £20,000 a week, would he be a different player? No, not for a minute. I don't believe he would, no, no. Right. So, so now the question is, right, we're in a league which has got more money swilling around than all the other leagues so far. And that's part of the reason why there is such pressure to get our season finished. So the question I'm saying is that if there was a restriction on the wage that player's going to get, and not a terrible restriction, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, if you're only restricted to, you know, highest wage of 40 grand a week, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, you know, or you had, you had an overall cap in your team as to what you're allowed to play, right? Where else are they going to go? There was a wonderful anecdote on, I get the, the athletics send an email each day. I don't subscribe to it, but they still send me an email each day. And there was a wonderful anecdote about, I think it, it might have been Chelsea, it might have been someone else, but let's say Chelsea, because they're a good example. Um, the, the lead players um, hadn't been paid their win bonuses for some time. Um, because no one noticed. They earned so much money, they hadn't noticed that they weren't getting their win bonus, which they were contractually entitled to. Someone of the, the office staff hadn't paid it, so they got it back dated. But it took them X amount of time to notice that they weren't receiving their win bonuses because the wages are so 
copious that they, you know, it was it was just one more little bit on top of this huge sum of money, which I think is is illustrative of the amount of money sloshing around. But then you've got the other side of the coin, Billy, because not everyone's earning in football is earning money where you can miss your win bonus. I mean, as you go down the leagues, down to the places where our two clubs have come from, the leagues one and leagues two at times, you, you know, it gets quite hand to mouth at, at that point, doesn't it? A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Achten Millwall. But then the capping... It doesn't affect them. In fact, if anything, those clubs will be more advantageous because what they'll know is that they'll actually end up becoming more competitive. Yeah. The day, if you're sitting down there playing someone, you know, a grand or two grand a week, and you've got Sunderland playing, you know, Will Grigg, 20, 25, 30, 35 grand a week, you're thinking, you know, how can I compete? Again, you know, me being a Brentford fan, we're in that same situation. If you want to talk about finances, our finances, you know, aren't great, you know, because we've got a tiny stadium at the moment, Griffin Park, well, you know, as, as long as it will last, which, you know, our, <laughs> our income is, is actually up 50% since we've been in the championship from 10 million up to 15 million. So that's our, you know, it's our turnover, 15 yeah. million, which is still the third or fourth lowest in the whole league. Okay, so what can you do with that? You can't, you know, you can't do a lot. You, so we understand that this whole idea of trying to be different, we have to be different to be, to, to, to have an edge. And, you know, obviously, the, the, everyone you know knows about this whole statistical way that we actually find our players and then we end up, end up having to flog them after two years to make more money but you know we've made some you know we have made some some good money I think we've made 70 I think the, I think the figure is we made about 70 million um, in the in the past you know we've, we've made wow uh, we've, yeah we've made a lot of money over the 71.5 million in the five years since we've been in the in, in the in the championship but that's how we make our money so yeah. you know we're resigned to the fact that you know ollie watkins is going to go at some stage in the next you know if not six months you know to 12 months you know ben rahm is going to go in the next six to 12 months but they're totally cold-blooded about it and say don't worry we'll get someone better you know and i'm just sort of thinking it's got to go wrong we've got to we've got to get a we've got to get someone bad at some stage you know James, I've got a hard question for you. Um, and I think it probably goes to the heart of being a fan of any club in a way, because uh, as, as Billy said there, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the future will belong to the, uh, the shrewd and the, the, the clubs that can find um, the, the, the diamonds in the rough and all that kind of stuff. Um, but not everyone can win the league. Not everyone can be promoted. Um, 
equally, there's a need, in my opinion, for the game to function far more within within its income. Cut the cloth according to the, the you know, whatever the expression is, is the measure, whatever the, whatever the expression is. Fans will need to accept that chasing the dream is is a is a thing of the past. That success can be achieved in the short term, perhaps with you know with with shrewd choices and shrewd um, management. But it, it may be more transient than um, perhaps we've culturally come to expect. Everyone wants to be in the top flight, winning games, and and and, and you know for, for the glory days. But there's got to be an acceptance to an extent that um, no one can afford to overstretch anymore. Yeah, far, yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's right. And I, I mean, fortunately, we've never been spoiled on uh, mass spending sprees, reeling <laughs> for the bigger seventy million. <laughs> <laughs> Our heads have never been turned, have they? No. Years in transfer fees, but the, the no, I mean, I, it's. I mean, I think the model that Millwall have evolved is about the right balance. I mean, we we've invested some money, we've so forth. I mean, probably our two biggest splurges over the last few years was um, the first was the low when Lomas came in and uh, yeah. really brought in quite a lot of very expensive players. Lots of rumours about him. Uh, uh, really busting the, the wage budget. And I remember uh, Lomas's superstars of people like Nicky Bailey and uh, Jack Lowe and um, who was the, uh, the Scott McDonald and so forth. Yeah, yeah. He unveiled them at Brentford, funnily enough, in a pre-season friendly. Uh, and we lost 3-0. Uh, and Brentford were in the division below us at the time. And I thought, oh, God. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then Holloway, of course, had a big splurge. And so, I mean, I think we've learned probably more than most clubs, um, uh, spending money does not buy success. Um, but it's, you know, we've, we've got, you know, the third or fourth smallest gates in the, in the division. I think probably gone a little bit up this season. Um, but uh, that does mean that we, we, you'll always be pushing against the gradient. And uh, if you want to keep what I think is a good manager like Gary Rowett, that might be become a bit trickier if he knows that he's going to basically fashion, you know, um, a purse out of a sow's ear a bit, really, in terms of the resources in front of him. Yeah. I mean, Billy, I was looking at the BBC predictor table. Um, it predicts Brentford to finish fourth. I don't know if this is any consolation to, uh, to you. you. You kind of settled in the playoff zone already. I mean, they actually predicted Mill to finish in... Six spots, so I quite like that predictor table. Um, there's another one I saw that predicted, predicted us to finish in eighth position, so outside the the top six. Um, I mean, it's going to be a strange thing, how if, if, presuming that uh, Brentford do indeed finish as it seems probable in the in in the um, playoff zone. The playoff matches and a final to be played at empty Wembley, perhaps, or, uh, or the St George's Park, or somewhere like that. It's going to be an odd oddity, isn't it? Well, that's the, that's the thing, you know. That's what you know. Again, we don't want to count our chickens, but you know, let's just say, um, let's be hypothetical and say that is a scenario. That is, um, that is something for us to get our heads around. I mean, I think what we were thinking is that if the games did go ahead, right? You know, and what you've noticed that people are starting to get a little bit more creative. The one, listen, let's you know, let's talk about some positives about this, you know, this scenario at the moment. Now, there've been some really good deeds by people. People have been a lot more patient, a lot more nice you know, around the place, you know, a lot more kind of heartwarming stuff going out there. Also, the other thing is that I quite like this idea at the moment now that there isn't this breakneck speed to do things and be things and be places. Playing behind closed doors is um, is going to be not great. But then, you've, like I said to you, people have found out ways to be kind of innovative in this era. 
and maybe you might win a playoff <laughs> behind closed doors. Well, it's the thing. But you know, maybe what happens is that you know you can't meet your mates, but all of a sudden, like we're sitting down there and we're all on Zoom doing these these interviews. You know, whereas normally we'd normally do as, as in a pub. Are you? Would you end up being with 150 or 200 of you all online at the same time? My, my wife you suggested know. an online Zoom meeting because I was talking to her just before we started recording about what we're talking about. He said, "Well, you could organise an online Zoom meeting to watch the uh, watch the games when they're on the well, telly." I thought, "Fuck that." <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind normal Zoom meeting, Billy. I tell you what, not for me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying because the thing about it is, it's not. It's it's, mute, it's, mute, mute, mute. it's something that you'd say no, but at the end of the day, you just sort of think, God, you know, I want to, you know, I want to, you know, with my Poseidon crew, you sort of think, I want to, you know, you want to, we'll share it somewhere, yeah. You know, and you want to just, you know, oh God, the referee, he's out of order, when he, yeah, you know, so you're, you know. You want to be there. That's the whole thing. You want to be there with your mates. So you fancy an online Zoom meeting of, of, of uh, Millwall, James? Uh, no. <laughs> no, me, me neither. Um, so yeah, the BBC predictor Billy puts you in the in a playoff. Um, um, how, I don't know how they'll do it if it's one leg or two legged. I, I suppose it could be a one off um, game. In, in, I don't know how they'll do it. But anyway, they, 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 the BBC team you up with a, a opposite Forest and the BBC being being favourable to me will have us lined up against Fulham in the in the playoff semi final. So we shall see. We shall see. You are listening to Achten Millwall. I don't think we would have got in the playoffs. I'm, I'm really honest, Nick. Um, no. No. But potentially, I mean, it would be interesting out of the sort of debris of this season. Uh, you know, we've we've got some good players on loan. It'd be interesting to see what happens to them. And one of whom, of course, Billy was um, Ryan Woods, who I thought was looking increasingly impressive for uh, for us before uh, lockdown. Yeah, he's growing into the role, Ryan Woods. I think that's probably the best way to put it. He started off um, playing balls at no one, into spaces where no one was moving into, but I think they're starting to sort it sort it out just as the lockdown began. So you know, um, clearly Woodsy. a good player. Yeah, Woodsy is a is a great player, and he was really loved by Brentford fans. Uh, I mean, as you know, obviously when you when you signed him in, it, I was you know I was the first person I messaged you. I was purring about him. I say yeah. he's a great player in a really strange way, and this is. This goes to show you again how kind of fan loyalty goes. Like at the end of the day, I think fans don't mind players moving on if you move on in the right, polite way. And I think that when Ryan Woods moved on, even though we didn't want him to go, we felt he was a good player. He moved on the right way. He kind of did, you know, stayed at the time that he needed to. You know, his old man used to, you know, drink with us. He used to stand with us in the terraces. You know, he owns a pub up in Stafford. Actually, he's a right old, good old bloke. You probably see him up at Millwall all the time. He's he's a he's a really really nice bloke. So he kind of like there's the bond between you know even drunk at our pub down at the Globe as well. So you know he's a real bond between sort of kind of Ryan Woods family and us. And so when Woodsy left. He kind of almost like went with their blessing, even though people are going, you know, what are you going to Stoke for? You know, yeah. or go to a better team. So when he went to Stoke and then he wasn't playing very, you know, first of all, he started off and he wasn't playing well, then he wouldn't play. Brentford fans were almost like up in arms saying, what are you doing to him? What have you done to him? That's disgusting. You know, he should be playing for you. He should be doing this. And they were almost like quite sad for him that he kind of didn't do what he had to do. So when he moved to Millwall, Brentford fans were actually quite happy. <laughs> that he got out of Stoke and got a move so he could play again. And if you listen to them, you know, they give him the applause. They say he's a great player. And again, he's not one of these players like, you know, Martin Rowland who comes back to the oppos- oppos- opposing team, starts kissing the badge and the opposing team, mm. giving you two fingers. 
it gives you the respect, the manners, as we call it. So he was a great player. He was like a, a player who was in the middle of our, you know, in the midfield. He was a, a right general. He knew how to pass the ball, play the ball, play the ball. Um, on the flip side of it, you know, again, talking to the coaching staff, they said, you know, when he first came, we thought he was great, but they said he's still got a lot to learn. You know, he needs to know about kind of being a bit more spatial, about, learn about, the, you know, the space around him, you know, not necessarily just in front of him. So you can see how he grew in his game. So by the time he left Brentford, he was a, he, you know, he was a lot better player. You know, we got good money for him. You know, we got six odd million for him, you know, which wasn't, you know, which wasn't bad at the time because I think he paid about, Three hundred, four hundred thousand for him, or something like that, from uh, yeah, yeah. from town. So he's a good player, and I and Gary Rowett obviously took him to uh, Stoke City because he knew what type of player he was. But I think that whatever was going on at Stoke City, he just wasn't able to kind of just do what he wanted to do with Woodsy. And I think he's probably got more of a of a central role at Millwall to do maybe what he wants or his vision is. And I think he's brought Woodsy and has probably said, "Look, I'm going to make you." the man in the middle who's going to start kind of running the show. And I think he's growing into the game, as you can say, as you can say. And that's why another reason we just, you know, we don't want to play Millwall. Teams like Millwall are very difficult, very difficult to beat. You've got good players in there. You know, your Wallaces, you know, you know, you've got your Woodsies, you know, you've got your Romeos as well. You know, um, all those players, you know, more players, you know, difficult. You've got Hutchinson at the back, who's just kind of a man mountain guy, mm. you know, you can't get past. So, you know, and you play a particular way, but you know how you play and you've got some great team spirit. And obviously in, in that stadium and the support goes off, it's, it's huge. So, you know, who really wants to play that? And I suppose, in a way, I suppose playing behind closed doors for you, for Millwall, you probably have a, you lose a bit of an advantage with not having that crowd as opposed to... Well, the loss of home support would be yeah. a major loss from our point of view. Yeah. Um, but, as, you know... As, a, as opposed to certainty, <clears throat> as opposed to Fulham, for example. Yeah. Atmosphere will improve, you know, <laughs> behind closed doors. Um, talking about, um, you know, atmosphere, I mean, it, it, it'll be remiss if we don't close today's conversation without mentioning Griffin Park because um, obviously this is one of the probably the last of a certain type of ground the kind of grounds that are looking at the three of us on these on the video we've all been brought up with um, terraces um, you know uh, the pub on famously the pub on each corner of the ground this is an old school much loved ground with character and and um, you know um, a direct link to the origins of football we've been talking about a lot of other things today but Griffin Park harks back to the start of it all in many respects and and it's going to be um, well. You you may not see it again, Billy. I suppose. I mean, it's a it's a very odd thing, isn't it? Because the new stadium that is now completed, I believe, at, at Kew Bridge or close to it, anyway. Yeah, it's going to be a very odd thing. Yeah, the stadium was pretty much completed. I mean, I was just on the phone to the reservation centre today, just sorting out a few a few issues with our not negative but positive issues with our seats we've got you know quite a few of us sort of kind of club together so we've got a, a little bit of a block together which is going to be you know which is going to be good it's a bit of a strange one for us because obviously you know you know for the last 40 odd years you know when I get my season ticket buy the season ticket and my mates buy the season tickets we don't coordinate to be beside each other because we've got terraces so we just don't yeah, just all, yeah, yeah. we just turn up and you're there but now all of a sudden we've had to coordinate ourselves into a certain position which yeah. is really 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 strange for us but you know we've seen you know we've been through the whole process the the, the, the reservation process has been fantastic it's a real one-to-one -one job you can go down there you put 3d glasses on see what your seat's like you know they talk you through whatever they want to talk you through it's a real it's a real sort of kind of 
it's honestly the process for them um, from a customer care point of view for Brentford has been unbelievable. Not put my head in the sand, but just thought, I still don't think it's going to be the final game of Griffin Park because I would like to think that whenever we come back, Brentford will go, you know, tell you something, let's play one final competitive game at Griffin Park. Hopefully, you know, I'd, I would like to think that the, 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 um, the, the new developers on Griffin Park are going to be moving in as soon as, uh, you know, we hand over the keys. I would like to think we've got about six or eight months or something like that before anything happens. So I would like to think that, you know, we have got one more chance to go to Griffin Park. So that is my final thought on Griffin Park in that we haven't played our last game in Griffin Park. And I think this is what's helping me get through this whole coronavirus malarkey that I will still be able to set foot in Griffin Park in a competitive game. James, there was very little of Colblown Lane left after our last game. Uh, there was no more chance of anything at the ground, I think, after that final match in 1993. Um, oh, I, did. I didn't enjoy it, actually. I thought it was just sad, really. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, people had a bit of a laugh and a good time. But I think, didn't we lose 4-0 as well? Something, uh, 3-0, 3-0. I think we got beat by yeah, Bristol, didn't just, we? It, um, it, it, I just sort of was sad about it, really. But... Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a very strange end of the season, whatever way it happens, isn't it, Nick? Absolutely. Gentlemen, that's been wonderful stuff. Um, really appreciate you taking time out of your days to join us on Achtung Mill. James Blewett and Billy Grant, big thank, thank you to you both. Thank you, Nick. Thank let's do, thank you, Nick. Let's thank do you this again. Do this again sometimes, chaps. That's been wonderful. Thank you. Brilliant. Achtung Millwall and the Real Millwall Fan Show are the number one Millwall podcast and we want to hear from you. So get in touch with us. Let us know your thoughts, your views, your rants about all things Millwall. We've got email, achtungmillwall at gmail.com or one word, achtungmillwall at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us and leave us a voicemail on 0208 144 0232. That's 0208 144 0232 leave us a voicemail no human will be involved in the receipt of your message so give us a shout tell us what you think about all things Millwall and the best messages will be read out on air Achtung Millwall Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.